Amen. All right. If you guys go ahead and grab a seat. Um, if you need a Bible, don't have a Bible, there's a stack of them on the table back there, those blue books. Make sure you grab one. Before we go too much farther, hey, can we turn the, the lights, all the lights back on here? Um, that would be great. That way everybody can kind of see what's going on tonight. There we go. Even better. Um, before we go too much farther, for those of you who don't know, we have a special guest tonight. Oh, don't shake your head no at me. We got Mr. Michael Foreman who has joined us tonight. Michael. Michael was one of our seniors last year, went off and joined the Marines, and this is the first time he's been home since August. Since August. So we are glad you're here, Michael. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for serving our country. Um, so now, for most of you though, you got three. I know, I just totally embarrassed you tonight. That's okay. Love you anyway, buddy. Hey, for most of you, you got three weeks of school left. So my question for you right now is, what is your focus with three weeks of school left? I got two left, okay? So finals, what else did I hear? Surviving, is that what I heard? Surviving, okay, for some of our seniors. Okay, here's, here's the reason I asked you that question. Because, I mean, let's be honest, whether you got two weeks, whether you got three weeks, your goal right now, your focus is probably just to get done, right? To get out of school, to move on to whatever the next thing is. And, and that's important because focus is an important thing in our lives. I mean, if, if you think back even just a couple years ago for our D-Now weekend, that's what we talked about that entire weekend. Focus is something that every one of us has in our lives. The question is, what are you focused on? Now, a lot of times we get sidetracked and we focus on things that maybe we really shouldn't be paying such close attention to. I remember one time, I want to say I was probably sixth or seventh grade. I was at my mom's house for the weekend, was riding a bike, and something distracted me as I was riding this bike. I don't know what it was, but I remember looking away from where I was riding. And about a minute later, all of a sudden my bike stopped. And my bike stopped because when I turned my head to look at what I was looking at, I didn't pay attention that my focus had drifted, so my bike started to drift. And the front tire of my bike ran right into the taillight of somebody's car, which abruptly stopped my bicycle and busted that taillight. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I can't say I ever found out who owned that car because I took off because <laughs> I did not want to get in trouble. Don't do that. But, no, put your hand down, Peyton. I don't want to, no, not right now. <laughs> but my focus was not where I was headed. It was not where I was supposed to be going. And because I let my focus go somewhere else, I ended up in a bad situation and one that I had to run from from because I decided not to handle it the way I should have handled it. And see, as we get into the book of James tonight, we've been walking through this book. Golly, we've been in it for 11 weeks now walking through this book because this is a, there's some important stuff here. And tonight we're stepping into chapter 5, and as we step into this chapter tonight, we start to find out real quick that James is talking about focus. Focus matters in our lives because wherever you put your focus, that's where you're going to put your time, that's where you're going to put your attention, that's where you're going to put your energy, that's where your thought life is going to go, that's where your words are going to go, that's where your actions are going to lead to. So it matters where our focus is in our lives, especially when it comes to this whole idea of God. James is not just talking about, do you focus on the right things? James is helping us understand tonight that you're either focused on God or you're focused on everything else. And as we step into this book, I hope you're going to see that tonight. The question I want to ask you is what James focuses on, what he focuses on as we walk through this, is what is the focus of your heart tonight? Now, yes, I know Scripture says the heart is deceitful and wicked above all else. Who can trust it? I get that. But when I'm talking about your heart, 
What is the focus of your pursuit tonight? What are you going after with everything in your life, every area of your life? Because that's what James is talking about. And James gives us some, some good, clear examples to help us understand what that looks like. But before we get into that, something we do every single week, I'm going to ask you guys the questions. Because when we step into a book and we walk through a book, we need to know the context of the book. We need to know who wrote it, why they wrote it, who they were writing it to, what was going on during that time. So who wrote the book of James? James, okay, I give you an easy one first. When do we believe it was written? <laughs> okay, so right in there, mid-40s A.D., who do we believe it was written to? That's right, early Jewish Christians and house churches. The reason we know that is because if you go all the way back to James 1.1, it says James, the brother of Jesus, and he's um, servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes of the dispersion. And what that is, is that's a time where early Christians were experiencing persecution because of their faith. So they were scattering, they were running, and they were starting these house churches in hiding so that they could still meet together and worship God and do what they knew they were supposed to do, but they had to do it because somebody was after them. Why was it written? To encourage them to live out their faith. If you walk through this book, remember, I love that. Yes, nailed it. If you walk through this book, we've been talking about every single week, this book should come with a warning. Because as you walk through the book of James, what James does is James says, okay, you call yourself a disciple, a believer, a Christian, then you need to let what you say you believe collide with your real life. You need to actually take it and live it out. And that's what he walks through over and over. And he's doing that same thing tonight. So I'm going to ask you all, I always ask somebody to come up and read. Mr. Corey Wildman is going to come read. If you all will stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Y'all can give it up for Corey. He's going to read for us James chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. That's pretty awesome. You got to use a microphone though. Yes. We podcast this, so you got to be able to, we got to be able to hear you. Can we turn that mic on? One more time. Awkward moment on the platform. Sorry. I'm not awkward. I'm awkward, but I'm okay with it. Better? Okay. Better. That'll work. There we go. Yay, sound booth. Better. <laughs> this is terrible. Okay, James chapter 5, 1 through 12. Here we go. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that were coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the <clears throat> early and late rains. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke 
in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come tonight, Lord, to say thank you. Thank you for giving us this time to your Lord and help us grow, growing in you, growing for you, Lord, and growing with you, God. We just ask you in this room tonight and just reach all of us, God. Reach us uh, with Pastor Jesse's teachings and just reach us with what is put out with your word, God. Uh, we just ask you these things. We thank you for every single thing, every single day. It's in your son's holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Now, on the surface, as we walk through those verses, it really looks like you've got two completely different sections that don't really go together. You've got verses 1 through 6, and then you've got verses 7 through 12. 1 through 6, James is really kind of giving a warning here. It's still talking about the focus of your heart, but it's a warning about where your heart is focused, if it's focused other than on God. Let me read that verse 1 for you again. It says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. So from the very beginning there, James starts talking about people that are rich, people that not just have a little bit of money, but people are wealthy. And his point there, what he's drawing attention to is the fact that their focus is on their wealth. It's on accumulating their wealth. It's on hoarding their wealth. It's on cheating people out of their wealth. So that is what they want to have. Now, biblical scholars would tell us that as you walk through this passage, that very first verse where he says, come now you rich, that James is not necessarily talking to believers. Remember, he, he wrote this book to early Christians and house churches, but he's also following an Old Testament pattern here where if you read through different parts of the Old Testament, you would see that a prophet would talk and they would talk about who God was and what it was like to follow God and why we should follow God, but then they would also talk about the dangers of those people who refused to follow God and talked about the, the judgment and the things that were coming their way because they didn't acknowledge God as God. And that's the pattern that James is following, or following here. So he's actually talking about these wealthy people that are outside the church. He's saying, your hearts are not focused on God. Your hearts are focused on, on what you can gain. Your hearts are focused on what you can enjoy and what you can cheat people out of instead of where your hearts should be focused. And that's important for us because we need to remember that when it comes to our hearts, our hearts are only going to be focused in one direction. Think about that for a second. Your heart can only be focused in one direction. It can pursue God or it can pursue something else. Now, that doesn't mean other things aren't important in your life. You've still got relationships. You've still got future plans. You've still got all of these other things. But the question is, where is your heart focused? Is it pursuing God first and then letting Him work through those things? Or is it saying, God, I got this taken care of. You sit this one out. See, he's trying to say our focus of our hearts matters. That's why in Luke chapter 16, verse 13, it says this, no servant can serve two masters. You can only have one focus. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. See, that's the example. We look at that verse because that's the example that James has given us here. We know that to be true. And as we walk through the rest of this passage, we see that we, that's true because the, the stuff he's talking about, the riches, the wealth, those are things that don't last anyway. I mean, think about this. Anybody in here 
ever made money for doing a job or you've been given a birthday gift with cash in it, a card, something like that, do you still have all of that money? Some of you might, okay? One or two of you. But everybody else is like, no. I mean, I, I get paid every two weeks. And as soon as I get paid, I can tell you where every dollar is going, whether I get to keep it or don't keep it. That's, that's just how life works. So we know that wealth, that money, that all of those things, they're not bad things, but when they become our focus, those things don't even last. Those things go away sometimes as quickly as we get them. Or if we hold on to them, they break down. They become worthless. That's what James says in the next couple verses here. He says in verse 2, Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. He's saying, early church, these people that he's talking to right now, he's saying, these riches that they have now, that they're enjoying now, in the end, those are going to be gone. There's, there's going to come a day where all of those things that we try to accumulate, those things that we try to grab to make our life better and, and to make us look like we have more influence and prosperity and all of these things, there's going to come a day where none of that's going to matter anymore. It's going to rot just like everything else does. It's going to do us absolutely no good because he's reminding us right there when he says, you have laid up treasures in the last days. Uh, where is it? Yeah, your gold and silver have corroded. Their corrosion will be evident against you. You'll eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. What he's doing here is he's pointing these people to the idea, to the understanding that there's going to come a day that every single person who has ever lived, who lives now, and ever will live on this planet or anywhere else we send people, will stand before God in the last day. And in that day, none of that stuff's going to matter. All of that wealth, all of that prosperity, all of those riches, all of those things are going to be gone. Every one of us will be in the presence of God. Scripture tells us it's a day of judgment where we'll give an account for our lives. And on that day, James is telling us that, that if your focus of your heart has been anything other than God, he says it'll be evidence against you. Think about that in a court of law. You go to court. You don't want people to have evidence against you when you're accused of something. Because evidence against you means you're guilty. Evidence against you means you're going to suffer the punishment that is handed down by a judge who is judging rightly and justly. And if that's the way we look at our court system now that is flawed and filled with, heart, with, with sinful, problematic people, how much more righteous and holy is God going to be on that day? When we stand before him and he says those things are going to be spoken to against your life. He speaks specifically of riches and wealth here, but let's be honest, that can be anything in your life. Maybe for you it's not riches, it's not wealth. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's I've got to have a boyfriend, I've got to have a girlfriend. Maybe for you it's your future plans, your career, the college that you want to go to. Maybe it's your popularity, your status, how many likes you got on your last Instagram post. We all have different things that our attention and our focus goes to. But the point here that James is making is every single one of those things goes away. And in the end, none of it matters. The only thing that matters is where your heart is focused. 
That's why we see in the book of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus' own words in verses 19 through 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on, on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever you allow to be the focus of your life is, where it's your, is what your heart's pursuing. That's what you've made God in your life. That's what this passage is telling us. So I keep asking you the question, what's the focus of your heart tonight? Is it the God of Scripture? Is it the God that created you? Is it the God that wants a relationship with you? Or is it stuff or relationships? status, or popularity, or all of those different things. That kind of focus keeps you centered on yourself, even at the cost of other people. Look at what James says in verse 4. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So here he tells us how these, these rich people, these wealthy people, got the riches and the wealth that they have. It says that they, they cheated people. They, they took what was not theirs from other people. If you remember, James actually spoke to this back in chapter 2 when we were walking through it. In that passage, he was writing about how as believers in the early church, and sometimes we do this now, show partiality in church. You, you've, got a, you've got a special guest and you bring them down front and you give them a good seat or you give them a good parking spot and we treat people differently depending on how they look. If they look like us or nicer than us and dress like us or nicer than us, we show them preferential treatment. If somebody walks in and they look like they've just, I mean, they're just dirty or they don't smell like we do, or they don't look like we do, or they don't talk like we do, and we say, mm, not necessarily going to mess with that person. James talked about that in there, and James reminded them in, in chapter 2, he was saying, church, you need to remember that the wealthy people that you're showing preferential treatment for, these are the same people that are robbing you. He says this in verse 6 and 7, but have you dishonored, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? And the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? He's saying you, you're giving preferential treatment to people who are stealing from you. People who are mistreating you because their focus is on their own luxury, on their own wealth, and their focus is not on God. And we've got to be careful that we don't fall into that. This is a great reminder because it is way too easy for us to dismiss people when we are focused on anything besides God. Because when we start doing that, when we start letting our focus be on other things, people become a means to an end. People become a tool. Oh, you've got that relationship. You know so-and-so that I really need to get to know to get to where I want to be. Let me be your friend for a little while. And as soon as I get to know that other person, I'll be done with you. And that, that's just one example, but that happens over and over and over when our hearts are focused on 
anything else as a priority in our life besides God. You lose sight of the fact that that person that you're using has value. Not because of what they can do for you, not because of how they can benefit your life, but because they, just like you, are created in the image of God. And that fact alone gives them value. But when we're not focused on that, we don't see people that way. And that's how that plays out when your heart is not focused on God. Now that's verses 1 through 6. James changes direction as we move into verse 7 through 12. In verse 7 and 9, through 9, we start to see the warning. We've seen that, but now we start to find some encouragement. He's saying, this is what's going on if your heart's in the wrong place. This is where you need to be focused. Look at what he says in verses 7 through 9. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. He says in there several times, be patient, be patient. I don't know about you guys, but I used to hate those words when I was a kid. Because be patient usually meant I wasn't getting what I wanted right now. And quite often, be patient meant it probably wasn't going to happen then anyway. And yet James starts using those words in verses 7 and in verse 8. We see those words over and over. But we see the reason that he tells us to be patient. He's saying the Lord is coming. What we talked about a minute ago, when there's going to be that day that we all stand before God, irregardless of what we've accumulated or not accumulated, we'll give an answer for our lives. He's saying that day is coming. And he's saying believers, disciples of Jesus, you need to focus on that. You need to focus on God. Because He's the only thing that matters in all of this. Remember, they were scattered due to persecution. They were suffering for their faith in God. And James encourages them not to lose their focus. Because let's be honest, when you're going through something that's hard, it's very easy to lose your focus. Very quickly, it can become about, God, why is this happening to me? God, this isn't fair. God, I don't understand this. God, why, why are you letting these things go on in my life? And our focus very quickly turns inward instead of to who God is. He uses that example there. He says, be patient as the farmer must wait for the rain in order for the crops to grow. Be patient and focus your heart on the fact that God is who he says he is. Be patient and focus your heart on the fact that God will do what he has promised to do. And what happens when we don't do that is that focus and that frustration turns inward or it turns outward to other people. And James has talked about that in this book before. He talked about that in chapter 4 when he talked about the grumbling and the fighting and the arguing that happens in churches because focus turns away from God into what we want instead of what God wants for our lives. James is telling us, focus your heart on God before anything or anyone else because there is hope in that focus. There is something to look forward to, the fact that God has made promises and God always keeps His promises. And in the next couple verses, He gives us some examples of that. Verses 10 and 11, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. 
Behold, we consider those we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He gives the example of the prophets from the Old Testament. These are prophets who often face persecution and isolation because they were solely focused on God's will for their lives. On what God wanted them to do. On carrying out God's plan. And then he talks about Job. If you're not familiar with that account from the Old Testament, Job is a man who loved God with everything he had. Job was a man who God had blessed with material things, with a family. And Satan came to God and said, Job will curse you if you just let me test him and take away what he has. And God says, you can do that, but you can't touch Job. You can touch everything else, but you can't touch him. And through that account, we see that Job loses his family. He loses his wealth. He loses everything he has. And Job actually goes into a depression and he, and he cries out to God. And yet through all of that, where he's crying out to God, where he's questioning God, and people are saying, hey, curse his own wife. Curse your God and die. His friends, why are you still trusting God? Job, even in the midst of his questioning and his doubt, still says, I will trust God. His focus never leaves God in his life, even when he do, doesn't understand what's happening. And James is showing us that, saying, that is what we're supposed to do. That is what we're supposed to do with our lives, with our focus, is put God first, even when absolutely nothing else makes sense. To know that God is who we're pursuing because God has a plan. We talked about that last week. God has a plan for every single person's life that has put their faith and trust in Him. And then he finishes out with a verse that really feels like it doesn't belong in this passage at all. Verse 12, let me read it for us. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may fall under, may not fall under condemnation. So, in the Jewish Old Testament culture, before there were really a whole lot of written contracts or agreements, all of those agreements were verbal agreements. Okay, if if you promised to do something, your character, your reputation, people would trust what you said based on who you were, based on how you lived your life. And there were a lot of times where these people would use the name of God and say, you know, I, I, I swear I'll do this or I promise I'll do this. And they would invoke the name of God because that gave a sense that if they didn't do it, they were going to experience God, God's wrath or God's judgment because they didn't keep their word. And, and over time, history tells us that there were individuals who began to swear on things other than God's name because they weren't planning on keeping their word. So if they swore on something that wasn't God's name, now they could actually break their word and they'd be okay. They wouldn't suffer God's wrath or God's judgment because they never swore on God. It was a practice that allowed them to break their word without worrying about God. James is putting this here. He's making this point here that none of us need to ignore. He's saying you shouldn't have to say, I swear by God or I sign this contract or I do these things because you're character should guarantee your word. The way that you act, the way that you behave, the way that you live out your life should be enough for someone to believe your yes or your no. And your character shows the focus of your heart. 
about that for a second. Your character shows the focus of your heart. You can be a good person outwardly and have good character outwardly and not have a relationship with Jesus. But inwardly, a good person with good character is still separated from God by sin. And that will come out. Eventually, that character will have flaws. And eventually, people will see that. And that's not to say we don't mess up sometimes, because we all do. But a heart that is focused on God is a heart that is pursuing Him with everything that you have. Because we're, we're all sinners. We're all born separated from God. It's that sin nature we have that draws our minds and our hearts to focus on anything and everything except for God. Because when we're acting like that, when we're living like that, those things that we pursue, they will bring us happiness for a while. But in the end, you will always find yourself longing for more. Because what you got that brought you happiness today is now not enough. You need something more. You need something else. You turn your focus in a different direction and that cycle repeats over and over and over and it's more stuff and it's more relationships and it's more success and it's more money and it's more, more, more. But a heart that James is talking about here that is focused on God, a heart that's pursuing Him above everything else in your life, that's the one that is going to find peace in God even when life doesn't make sense. Even even when parents lit up. Even when a friend takes their life. Even when somebody you love turns around and just walks away. In those times when life doesn't make sense, when things hurt, a heart that is focused on God can find peace. And know that God loves you and God cares for you more than anything else in this world. So I come back to the question we started with. What is the focus of your heart tonight? Is it money? Is it wealth? Is it popularity? Is it all of these different things we've talked about? Or is the focus of your heart on God? Being the man or the woman that He has created you to be. The first step in that process is putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You can't focus on God if you don't have a relationship with Him through Jesus. I mentioned before that we're all born sinners and we can't fix that. We can try to be good, but eventually we're going to mess it up again. And there's a penalty that Scripture says we owe for our sin. Scripture tells us we are separated eternally from God, physically by death, but eternally from God spiritually. And there's nothing we can do to bridge that gap which is why God sent Jesus to bridge that gap for us. That's why Jesus died on the cross, because He paid the penalty for the sin that you and I owe. That blood sacrifice, that's the whole Old Testament system, was to point to Jesus and the need that we had for Him. And when He died on the cross, He paid that penalty, and then when He rose from that tomb, He conquered death, He conquered sin, and He offers every single one of us forgiveness so that we don't have to be separated from God forever. Yes, we'll still physically die. But Scripture tells us when that moment comes that you say, God, I'm a sinner. God, I can't forgive myself. I can't do enough things right. I can't be a good enough person. I need you to forgive me of my sin once and for all. This is not a prayer you have to pray every single day. 
scripture says, believe it in your heart, confess it with your mouth, and you are saved once and for all. And then your heart can begin to pursue God with everything that you have. And, and if you're in here tonight and you've never taken that step, you can't pursue God yet because you've never taken the first step towards the God that's already pursued you. You can do that tonight. Scripture says, admit you're a sinner, believe in your heart who Jesus is and what he did, confess him as Lord of your life. Because he is, you just have to admit it. You can do that tonight. You can start making sure that your focus of your heart is God above everything else. And I encourage you and I challenge you. Where is your heart focused let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity. God, I thank you that we can look at books like James, God, that, that really just kind of smack us in the face. But Lord, they show us who you've called us to be. And it calls us to pursue you above everything else. And God, I pray right now for every single person in this room. God, I know sometimes as, as, as a believer, I know myself, I get distracted, God. <laughs> like riding that bike, God, and I lose control of where I'm going. God, help us to point our focus, our attention towards you as believers tonight. And God, I pray for anybody in this room tonight that you are not the focus of their heart because they don't have a relationship with you yet. God, I pray, I pray. God, that they'll take that first step tonight. And if you're here tonight and, and you want to do that, or you've got questions about that, in a minute we're going to start singing. You can come see me or you can come see one of the other adults in the room. And I promise you, they will be more than happy to talk to you about that. If you're here tonight and you just say, hey, I just need somebody to pray for me, that's what those yellow cards are for. Write that down whatever that prayer request is, and you can either come up and drop it in this basket on the front step, or you can take it to one of the leaders and they'll pray with you right then and there. Don't walk out of this room tonight without answering that question for yourself. Where is your heart? God, I pray right now. Help us as we continue to worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.